0: Good to see you this morning, Time Worship Together. We started a whole new series today, and um, as we do so, I um, just need to kind of point out something. Uh, there's, there's a verse in John that many people know, John ten ten that says this. It says, I have come that you might have life uh, and that you might have it abundantly. And uh, that's really, if you want to look at the Gospel of John, the, one, of the, one of my favorite books in the Bible to read, uh, that really is kind of an outline of, of the Gospel of John. The first 12 chapters of John talks about uh, things uh, where Jesus encountered people out in the uh, the streets and and, uh, along the way. um, He talks to the woman at the well and he talks to Nicodemus. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He does all those different things in the first 12 chapters of John and he shows us how to have eternal life. But then in the chapters 13 through 17 of John, what he does is he shows shows us how to have abundant life. Now so often what we do is we focus upon this whole thing, we talk about, you know, I want Jesus to be my savior, but we really don't talk about what it means to have Jesus as Lord of our life. And he wants to be both, not just either or, it's savior and Lord. And so really, in a sense, the 13th through 17 really deals with the whole thing of how he becomes our Lord of our life and how we can live the life that God wants us to in a real sense. And the setting for these instructions is interesting as well because if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other, th- other three Gospels, you'll find that the, same, uh, the setting for this is basically where they talk about the Lord's Supper. They talk about communion. And so at the end of the service today, as we conclude our ser- uh, sermon today, the uh, time today, we're going to be taking together the Lord's Supper in a time of quiet meditation and, uh, as well today. But uh, well, what happens here in John, though, for some reason, John doesn't really spend a whole lot of time, he really spends no time talking about communion of the Lord's Supper, but it's still set in the same setting here. It's in the upper room, uh, it's, it's just uh, just a few hours, maybe, uh, I don't know exactly how many hours, but a few hours before Jesus is to be taken, and he's going to be arrested, and he's going to be uh, taken to a place where he'll be uh, uh, nailed to a cross and crucified, and then uh, and, and then he'll be resurrected as well. But all those things are going on right now, right before Uh, this happens. And so what happens here, we call this series Famous Last Words, because in a sense, these are the words that Jesus uh, shares with us and shares with his disciples, his closest followers, right before he goes to the cross. And I've thought about this, you know, if you knew that you only had like 24 hours to live, and you had some time to talk to your, your, your family or your close friends or whatever, what would you tell them? What would you tell them? I mean, if you knew you had only a a limited amount of time and maybe just a few hours to live, what would you tell your closest friends and your family? Well, this is, in a sense, what Jesus is doing. And so this has to be very important words. And and I'd love to have been there to hear what Jesus had to say. But John kind of uh, tells us in these four chapters, in a sense, what Jesus uh, says here. And he focuses upon that as well. And if you're already a believer in Christ... uh, so often what happens is, is we don't struggle so often with the whole thing of, yeah, I trust God is my Savior. But we really do trust God, uh, struggle sometimes, with this whole thing of how to live an abundant life, what it means. Because we live in a culture that pushes us away from the things that Jesus is going to teach here. And, and, and uh, especially in the first chapter today, we're going to look at chapter 13. Uh, Jesus says basically, and this is gives you a synopsis of what we're going to be going for the next several weeks. And this will lead us all the way up to Easter, which is not really that far away. Uh, we'll lead this all the way up to Easter, and then we'll, a couple of weeks past Easter, we'll be looking at the rest of the, from starting at John 13 through the end of the, cha- end of the, uh, the Gospel of John. Um, Jesus tells us this, if you want to have abundant life, and this is what we'll be learning in the next few weeks, if you want to have abundant life, you need to serve one another. If you want to have abundant life, you need to love other people. If you want to have abundant life, have, you need to let his peace be a part of your life. If you want to have abundant life, you need to recognize that he's the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to have abundant life, you have to receive his joy. And we'll talk about what that means. If you want to have abundant life, you need to talk to him about everything. You need to pray to him. If you want to have abundant life, you need to abide in him and trust in him. If you want to have abundant life in Christ, the kind of life that he wants us to have, you need to trust the Holy Spirit as your counselor, as your very best counselor. Now, this is what God's going to be talking about through, and Jesus is going to be talking about and teaching his closest friends in chapters 13, 14, 15. Uh, and 16, and then 17 is a long prayer that we're actually going to cover later in another series uh, when we talk about prayer as well, later in the year. But Jesus is about to die. He's about to leave the earth, and he knows he has one last opportunity in the flesh to talk to his closest friends. So that's the setting here today of where we're at. So if you have your Bibles today, if you have your uh, your iPads or your tablets or your phone or whatever it is that you read Scripture on, Uh, Turn to John 13, and we're going to start with verse 1 today, and actually just go through the first 17 verses. This is a pretty easy introduction today. We're just going to talk right through the first 17 verses of this passage, and we'll look at that. The next week, we'll talk about the last part of chapter 13, and it's kind of interesting because actually there's only two things he tells us, two main things he tells us in John chapter 13. Number one, he he says, if you want to have an abundant life, number one, and this is interesting, why does he put this first? He says, if you want to have an abundant life, he says... You need to serve one another. And then in the last part of John chapter 13, he says, if you want to have an abundant life, you need to love one another. So that's what we'll be talking about for two weeks here. What it means to serve one another and what it means to love one another. That's a pretty easy outline for the next two weeks. He says it starts, though, with service. Now, so what he does in a sense here, and what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to define, according to what Jesus says, what a servant is. What a servant is. Because I think it's probably not what, it's not Downton Abbey, Okay. It's not uh, that kind of servant, okay? Any of you you admit to watching that? Come on, some of you, I've watched some of it. Okay, Downton Abbey, okay, some of you watched that. If you haven't, it's kind of an English thing sitting back at I don't know what century. But anyway, it was kind of like, it makes me mad every time i watch it because, you know, there's servants there and they are low-class people and, uh, in a sense. And they, they, everybody else in the high-class people, get, they get waited on hand and foot. And, I mean, they can't even dress themselves, you know. And so they have all these different people that help them do everything. You know, it's kind of like that deal. And sometimes we have this idea that's what a servant is. But Jesus describes a servant in a different way. Not only does he describe it, but Jesus does something in this chapter that really, probably more than anything else in Scripture, except for him going to the cross, which is going to happen near the end of, of John, more than anything else, it shows what a servant really is. So let's talk about that this morning. If, you take, if you'd like to take notes, there is an outline in there, not an outline, there's just a simply um, a piece of paper there in your bulletin you can take notes on as well. And we're going to talk about five things Jesus says about what a servant is. Number one, he says that servant's love servants love and he says this in verse 1 of chapter 13 he says it was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the father having loved his own who were in this world he loved them to the end and one translation says this he says he now shows them the full extent of his love and so it's talking about it setting this up for this next few verses um, he shows them in a real sense what it means to love he talks about what it means to love and how how you're to do that and how did he show his, uh, his disciples uh, the, the, what greatest, the greatest love is? He, it wasn't because he did miracles, because he'd already done the miracles. It wasn't because he'd already taught, you know, a great sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon probably ever. What he did was he did something really interesting. He washed their feet. We'll see here. We'll talk about that today. He washed their feet. And then after that, he'd them the greatest example of love. He went to the cross for us as well. Now, for a lot of people... Somebody who washes somebody's feet or somebody who, is, somebody who loves someone, that's not a picture of a, of, of a servant, right? A, a picture of a servant, for most of us, is somebody who has to do something, they, they serve because of duty. They have a duty to do, it, and, and, and they feel like they have to do it, and so it's merely duty. And, and, and I'm just doing it because I have to, because I'm supposed to, because somebody expects me to. Now, some of you do that in your family. Because you grew up in a, with certain roles in your family and you say, it's my duty to do this as a husband. It's my duty to do this as a wife. It's my duty to do this as a parent. And you may have that way. And sometimes you do it out of love. But sometimes you just do it out of duty, right? Because it's what you're supposed to do, you know? And so the deal is, uh, uh, duty becomes drudgery if, if, it's, if it's not done for the right reasons. And, uh, and service, though, the type of service that Jesus talks about here is really can be something that brings us joy. And that's the difference between the two. Jesus is trying to show us that love is what makes the difference when you serve someone. Although it's hard, there should be a joy always to service. It's kind of like some people think, you know, well, the Christian life is this, you know, it's going to be hard while I'm here on this earth, but there is something out there that I look forward to down the road. It's called heaven. And when I get there, there's going to be joy there. But while I'm here on this earth, Man, I just gotta do what, I just gotta suck it up and go on and do whatever I gotta do to get through the time. Some of you feel that way. And so you need to ask yourself, what, who is it that my life, what am I trying to, who am I trying to serve and why am I trying to serve and what's so important? And so Jesus gives an example of why he loves and, and, and he gives an example here of what a servant really is. He goes on in verse 2 through 4, he says, The evening meal was in progress. And this is interesting because he, he points out this is something he already knows. And the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And they're going like, what is going on here? Probably. Because this is not something normally that Jesus had done in the past. So often what we do is we think that servants are kind of like, you ever had an idea that servants are weak people? They're kind of weak because they, they kind of put down... Well, Jesus kind of points out here, and he, and he shows in this example here that servants, the second thing about servants, not only do servants love, but servants are strong. Servants are strong. Jesus, when people think of servants, they usually think of weak people, people who are oppressed. But Jesus shows, uh, uh, says, I want you to show you a different kind of servant, the kind of servant who does it by choice because of the love I have for the people that I'm serving. Jesus was a servant, and he wasn't weak. Um, These verses show us where Jesus' strength came from. It says, and we can look back in those verses, it says in verse 1, it says, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. In verse 3, it says he knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And the third thing it says in verse 3 is that he knew uh, uh, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. And this is important, and I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but it's important because, in a sense, Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He had a very, very, very focused purpose and a strong identity in his life he didn't have to sit around and think about okay what am I going to do today because he knew what his purpose was for that day and he didn't struggle with that at all see he had a strong self-identity and what Jesus is saying in regard to a servant and the kind of service he wants us to do he wants us to serve not just because we're out of duty but he wants us to serve for a purpose and the song that that we sang just a while ago from the inside out the deal is that, is that God wants us to, uh, to be able, in a real sense, to love people because of what's in our heart, what's, why we love people, is not because, simply because uh, it's something we have to do. But sometimes one of the best ways to express love to people is through what? It's through service. It's through service. It's doing simple things uh, for people. Now, guys, I'm, guys guys, and girls, okay, I'm going to talk to both today. Yesterday was Valentine's Day. Did y'all know that? oops, okay, I heard somebody up here go, oops, okay now let me explain something to you for me, personally and some of you guys can relate to this I don't know about any girls, but some of you guys can Valentine's Day, I grew up in a family where we didn't celebrate anything we didn't celebrate, we kind of celebrate birthday it was a happy birthday, now it's about it, you know, that was a big deal and we didn't do anything like that so a Valentine's Day was not a big deal for me you know but my wife, on the other hand, grew up in a family. They celebrated everything. I mean, it was a national holiday for birthdays, and, and Valentine's Day was a huge deal. It was a huge deal, and so when I when we when I was dating, I did a pretty good job of of you know recognizing that. And we dated for uh, we dated and were engaged a total of five years before we got married, and then and we and my wife put on Facebook uh, yesterday. Um, some, or a couple days ago about, she just realized this is our 40th Valentine's to de- together. And I'm going like, four-tenths of a century. That is a long time. But she said she still liked me, though. So that was good. And I told her I liked her, too. So that was good. And uh, But the deal is, is that because Valentine's for her is a big deal, it's not about me. If I want to serve her, Valentine's becomes a big deal for me. Because why? Because I love her. And the duty that I do, going out and, and taking her, to, she doesn't want to like a lot of stuff. She just wants to go out to a nice dinner and, and do stuff like that, just to celebrate something like this, to recognize it, to have a card and do things like that. She doesn't want to like a big deal. But for me, I have to put it on my calendar. I have to remind myself. I tried three weeks ago to get reservations. I thought that was plenty far out. Three weeks ago to get reservations at our favorite restaurant. I, my top three choices were already taken, by the way. So guess what? Next year, I have on January 1st, get reservations for Valentine's. It's going to remind me because, you know, we went out to an uh, all-right restaurant. But the thing was is that th- that's, that is not duty. That's I'm serving her because it's important to her, because I love her. And so sometimes this is not about just simply about me. It's not about, you know, services. You know, when we say about well, you need to live the abundant life, we think it's all about us, about getting stuff and being happy and stuff. No, Jesus says, no, service is about Service is about, um, is about the reason you do it is because of love, but also because you know what your purpose is in life. See, people who are in an identity crisis are not very good servants. All they do is they spend time, all their energy, trying to figure out who they are, and, and they don't have any energy left to give to other people. And so what it adds up to, though, in a real sense, is insecurity in their life, and insecurity leads to us not serving people at all. So servants are people who are strong. Servants are people who are strong. They're not weak people. They're people who really have a strong identity. They know where they're going. They serve people for a purpose. And I'm, I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking, how would you have felt if you were Jesus Christ on that night and you were in that room with these guys? I mean, he knew what was going to happen. It says he already knew what? It said he knew that Judas was going to betray him, he already knew he was going to a cross. He knew all those different things. And here he was in that room, and then the next day he was going to die on a cross. He knew that throughout the night he was going to be in trial after trial. He knew he was going to be tortured. Wouldn't you have had a little temptation that night for, if you were Jesus, to say to your disciples, Hey, guys, you know, I've got a lot coming tomorrow. It's going to be a busy day. And because it's going to be a busy day, I've got a lot on my mind. You take care of me tonight. Uh, this is my night to be taken care of. Wouldn't he be justified in doing that, knowing what was about to happen, and he knew what was about to happen? Do you ever notice in life how service goes right out the window when you're under personal stress and you want all the attention on you again? You know, if something's going on in your life, what do you do? You're, it's all about you. It's all about you. But that's not what Jesus did. Because he knew that this, this process that he was going through was part of his purpose, it was part of what he was there for. So, why in this moment of his greatest personal stress did Jesus choose to serve in the greatest way? It's because he knew who he was and what his purpose was. He was strong. The third thing I thought it was interesting here about service, as well is this, servants serve uh, imperfect people. Servants serve imperfect people. You know, wouldn't it be great if everybody you served was always grateful? Did any of you parents ever feel? You know what I'm about to say? Ever feel like you, you just used? I mean, your kids use you. You know, they just take advantage of you, and they just do. You just, you just feel like. You know, you feel unappreciated as a parent. Anybody here ever feel unappreciated as a parent? Raise your hand if you're truthful and honest. Okay, thank you. If you haven't felt, you will. Okay? Because so often when you're, you know, you know, kids come right out of the womb going, me! They do, right? And it doesn't get a whole lot better for a number of years. Hopefully they grow up and become mature adults and uh, it's not all about them. But the thing is, it's what happens so often. You know, so, so often it's, it, it would be really easy to serve people who always said thank you and always appreciated you, and you got accolades for service or whatever you did. I mean, some of you don't feel appreciated at work. Yeah, you get paid, but no pay, nobody ever says thank you for anything. Um, have you ever felt unappreciated as a believer for what you're doing? You know, not by the Lord necessarily, but by people in the church. You know, you're serving and you're doing all this stuff, and, and, and people are going, you know, it's like, oh, that's part of what you do, so it's not a big deal but you don't feel very appreciated, or you don't feel like you're making an impact. Uh, That Servants serve imperfect people, though. Because in verse 5, it says this. After that, after uh, Jesus, uh, these things in verse 2 through 4, after that, he poured water into a basin, Jesus did, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, Jesus, I said a while ago, Jesus knew his purpose. He knew who he was. And he was getting ready to wash the disciples' feet, but he also knew who they were. He knew who they were. Um, Think with me for a minute about the feet he washed. First of all, it says he washed the disciples' feet in general. Who were the disciples? A bunch of perfect guys, right? What was happening right before this? We don't see this here in, in, in John. That's why sometimes you have to read all the Gospels together to get the bigger picture. But one of the things that was happening right before this is these guys who had been with Jesus for three years, Jesus now, this is not like me, okay, or you. This is Jesus, who they lived with him, walked with him, seen everything for three years in his life, and all of a sudden they come in here and they're in this place, and and what do they do? Uh, they're, They're there, and what do they do? They start arguing with each other. And you know what they're arguing about? It says in Luke uh, chapter 22, it says, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. <laughs> I mean, you're like, man, if I was Jesus, I'd have just just beat my head on a wall. You know, like these guys I've taught for three years, I've disi- you know, let me tell you, we're always, you know, talking about discipling our kids and, and, and helping them to come become more like Christ. Here was Jesus discipling the disciples. And they still didn't get it. So if, you're not, if you feel like sometimes your kids don't get it or somebody your your discipling doesn't get it and you're trying to help them grow, and they'll get it. Don't feel too bad. I mean, Jesus' closest followers didn't get it after three years of discipleship. but I thought fairly intensive discipleship, by the way. And so it says that, that happened. But so often we think that and Jesus is here and he, and he washes the disciples' feet. And, and it, sometimes we get the wrong picture of this, what it looked like. You know, how many of you have the picture of the Lord's Supper? And in your mind you have... The painting by Leonardo da Vinci. You know, they're all sitting behind a table, sitting behind a table. It's like Leonardo said, okay, guys, line up behind the table. We're going to take a picture, you know? Well, two things is wrong with that picture. Number one, they weren't sitting. They were reclining, it says, in that day. They, and they were all around the table, so that's, you know, a couple of things that's wrong with that picture. And they were there. And, and on, his, on, his, on his right side uh, was John, and on his left side was a guy named Judas. And they were in positions of of, uh, preference there in a sense. And as they were laying there getting ready to eat, they were having this, this discussion about stuff. They were arguing about who was the greatest, and, and they were probably all hepped up because they still thought Jesus was going to be a ruler, not, not a, the kind of person he ended up being, a savior for the world. They thought he was going to be a political ruler, and they thought they were going to be like this right-hand man or this, you know left-hand man or whatever the deal was going on. And so he was there, and he was dealt with in all this. And that's, where, that's when Luke says, 22, that's what he says. Now, can you imagine how Jesus must have felt then in the midst of this conversation going on around him? Uh, Can you imagine how he must have responded? He comes into this room. It was the night before he was going to die. Here's his disciples. He spent three years helping grow. They're going to change the world, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They've missed the point altogether. And then something else happened in that room that night as well. It's something that we in our culture don't understand, but it's something that happened every day in their culture. Another thing that happened, obviously, is that when you went to a home, of anyone's home, something that always happened is, is that you had somebody who would wash your feet. In a home that had servants, the servant would wash the feet. It was in a home with somebody else, because in that day they lived in an arid climate. They wore sandals all the time. I saw, uh, uh, was it you this morning that had flip-flops on? Thanks. Uh, I told him it was winter, by the way, and it's not. It's, I mean, obviously it's still summer in his brain. Okay, but the deal is... Uh, I had to get you, man. Okay, I was going like flip-flops. You know, it's like 12 degrees outside. Um, You just don't wear shoes when it gets a little warmer, right? Is that the deal? Okay, Uh, but the deal is, but the thing was, these people had walked on these dusty roads, and so one of the things they did, because their feet were dusty and arid, and it was, you know, uncomfortable, is they had somebody, that would have a water basin, and, and they would have a towel, and they'd have it there, and somebody would wash their feet, but nothing, nobody had washed anybody's feet. And here they are, they're getting ready to recline, and you know, one person's face is kind of close to one person's feet, kind of nasty, right? It's kind of like the way it looked, that kind of thing that was going on there. And so nobody had done that. And here's the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. And I wondered why, the reason they hadn't washed each other's feet, because they were so focused on who was the greatest, well, I'm sitting at Jesus' right-hand side, Said so I'm not going to wash the feet. You know, I'm on Jesus' left-hand side, but I'm not going to wash the feet, so nobody wanted to wash the feet. And so what happened is Jesus comes, he gets into the room, here's the argument, he's hardly noticed when he walks in, he walks across the room, uh, he takes off his outer garment and he comes down to his base his inner garment. It's something that servants would do before they wash feet. And then, he, and then he, can you imagine uh, how Jesus must have felt? He knew that he would die and that night he reminds them that greatness is measured not by how great you are but by the yardstick of service. And so he begins to wash their feet. None of these guys are imperfect. And these guys probably had not said thank you to Jesus for a good while. See, in the midst of that, also, there's a couple of men I want to pull out as well that, that, that uh, John mentions as well. He points these out that are there, we know. One was the guy named Judas. Jesus watched Judas's feet as well. And as we've already read, Jesus already knew that Satan had placed into his heart this idea to betray Jesus. I don't know about you, but would you have washed the guy that you know was about to betray you their feet? No. You wouldn't do that. But Jesus didn't anyway. And you know, the entire meal, in a sense, was kind of an appeal to Judas, in a sense, because what he was doing, Jesus washes his feet. He lets him sit sit on the left-hand side, which was his honored position. He later dips his hand into the bowl, which while they were eating with Judas, a sign of friendship. All these things were an appeal to Judas in the midst of all this craziness that's going on. It's interesting, though, that even though Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, he still appealed to him to the end. He still reached out to him to the end. You know, that's good news. I don't know about you, but it's good news that when we mess up, when we don't do all the things, Jesus is still reaching out to us in a real sense there. How easily, you know, do we give up on people? How easily do we think that God would give up on us? But he doesn't. He doesn't. And then finally, the other person that mentions in here that he washed his feet is the person you'd always would know is Peter. He washed Peter's feet. Now, we don't know what anybody else thought but we always know what peter thinks always because peter was the kind of guy he was the kind of guy that that um he always whatever he was thinking just popped right out of his mouth and maybe you love him because he's so much like you maybe i don't know maybe you're or somebody you know you know just it, it, their their life is a total open book and that's what peter was i call him foot in mouth peter so often he would do things like that and it says it says in verse 6 it says Jesus, he came to Simon Peter, and he, he said to him, uh, uh, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And then Jesus says something to Simon Peter in the next couple of verses that it's important. He says, uh, Jesus replied, you do not realize what now why I, what I am doing. But later you will understand. I mean, it's going to take you a while, Peter. I mean, you, 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 you're easy to jump out, but you will figure it out down the road. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now hold on to that for about 30 seconds, okay? That's about how long it takes Peter to change his mind. He says, No, you will not wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you. Now, hold a second. Let's, let's go, stop here a minute. Did you notice something that's not present here? Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Judas. He washes his feet. He washes the other disciples' feet. He washes Peter's feet. But whoever uh, says, Jesus, I'll wash your feet? Not one disciple. None of them. None of these guys who had followed Jesus said, hey, you put the towel down, you put the basin down, I will wash your feet. So Jesus goes on, he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And he's talking about something deeper here. Then he says, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, okay, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I mean, that's what Simon Peter like, it's all or nothing. There's no in-between with this guy. He said, just give me a total bath. Put me in a jacuzzi so I will, you know, so I will be uh, totally spiritually whole, whatever it may be. You know, just give me the full treatment. And then Jesus, Jesus says, now I wonder if Jesus was smiling at this point because he's going like, Simon, you just don't get this, do you, dude? He's going like, verse 10, he says, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you were clean, there are not every one of you. And then it goes on to talk about what that means in a sense. One thing it's saying is because Judas is here and he's unclean. But he washes Peter's feet. And it's interesting to me that these disciples were ready to fight for a throne, but they were never ready to fight for a towel, especially the servant's towel. They're, they're not willing to do that. See, and, and Jesus says, unless you let me serve you, you'll have no part in me. What is he talking about? He's simply saying, this about, he's talking about what's going to happen here just briefly in a few hours when he goes to a cross. And when he goes to the cross, what does he do? He does something for us, the greatest act of service in history. He dies on a cross for our sins and for the sins of the disciples. He serves us in a way that none of us can serve and he says, unless you let me do that for you, then you'll have no part in me. Unless I let Christ serve us, you won't have any part in him. So he serves them by going to the cross. But Peter is so human. That's what I like about him. We look at these verses here, and we look at uh, what he did throughout Scripture, and he's, he's such a representative. I love Scripture because Scripture does not gloss over the fact that these people are messed up, They follow Jesus Christ, and God still uses them, which is good news for all of us, Right? I don't know about you, but it's good news for, you know, for me that God uses people, even all people that are messed up. See, servants, what what is this pointing out? Servants serve all kind of people, and Jesus did, and he gave us an example, and he served, and he shows us a fourth thing about servants, and this is how he did it as well. Number four, the fourth thing I saw in this was this. Servants don't draw attention to themselves. They're not showy. You know, uh, Jesus didn't actually, he noticed, he didn't come into the room and go like, hey guys, I'm getting ready to serve you. Watch me serve you. Watch me, you know, I'm taking my robe off. I'm going to do this. I got the water. Jesus, no, he just quietly goes over. He begins the process of doing this. He didn't put a spotlight on himself. He didn't put it on TV. He didn't put it on Facebook. He just served them. He just served them. I was at a Promise Keepers conference in 1996, I remember this vividly, it was the largest gathering of pastors in the history, probably of the world, it was the first Pastors Promise Keepers conference, it was in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was 40,000 pastors there, that's a lot of people in one place, a lot of pastors. And uh, we were in the George Dome, and we were there, and, and it was a really good conference, I loved it, it had some great speakers and stuff, but one thing just kind of like drove me nuts. And that was this, I said, one time, everything was on a giant jumbotron, you know, gigantic screen, because it was such a big place, you had to have it there, because the speakers all looked like they were this big, you know. And one time we were there, at about the second day of a three-day conference, I remember, never forget this, one of the guys that was up there, he decided he wanted to honor another one of the pastors, and so what he did is he had this other pastor come up, and the other pastor didn't know what was going on. And he sits him down, and he takes off his shoes, and he starts washing his feet on a jumbotron. It was hugely showy, and i 'm thinking he kind of missed the point because that 's not the way Jesus did it. You know The Greek word for humility literally means to stoop low it means to stoop low, and it 's a literal meaning Jesus was literally humble here he stooped low at the disciples feet washed them and showed us what it means what real humility is he's saying this if you want to live an abundant life you need to live a life of humility and a life of service it's not one of those things you can write a book about you know like uh, 10 steps into how to be humble wouldn't that be a great book or, you know, how, how, how I became the most humble person ever. You can't achieve humility, you can grow into it, but you can't brag about it. It's not showy, it's, not, it's powerful though, it's incredibly powerful. And then Jesus says in verse 12, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, and he simply asked them a simple question. Really simple question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Hey, guys, I've just given you an object lesson. Do you understand what I've done for you? And then he goes on in the next couple of verses, and he says this. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. See, the reason that Jesus could say this fully was because he knew who he was. Humility is not saying you're not who you are. Humility is recognizing who you are and recognizing God's part in it and giving yourself to others. So what do servants do? This is, this is we'll conclude with this and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. What do servants do? Simply this, servants meet needs. Servant you know, you're going like, well, this is about washing feet. Well, you know, this is an example. This is not something you should go... Everybody's after, don't go and wash everybody's feet. Okay? That's not what it's about. This was an example of something in that cultural context that was an example of humility. But you know, something was interesting here. One, you know, there was two reasons Jesus washed their feet. Number one was this. One of the reasons he washed their feet was because he knew their hearts were proud. And he wanted to show them, hey guys... I'm your Lord and Master, but I will humble myself before you. But you know the second reason he washed their feet? This is so deep and profound, you just probably just glossed right over it. Because their feet were dirty. Right? Because their feet were dirty. He didn't want to partake of the Lord's Supper. He didn't want them to do that with them basically, with them basically having dirty feet. He, he, he performed simply a simple act of service. For this guys, you see, scrubbing dirty feet is love made practical. God himself in human flesh was scrubbing dirty feet. And that says something to you and to me about service. It says something to me about the kind of life he wants you and me to live, if we're to live the life he wants us to live. Because he concludes this little part, but Jesus says this, he says in verse 17, now that you know these things, just think about them, right? No, he says, now Go. You will be blessed if you do them. If you want to live an abundant life, if you want to live the life that really is full and brings really joy, not happiness, but joy, he says it starts by realizing that you need to humble yourself and be a servant for people. You have to meet needs. So let me ask you a question this morning. What does it mean to meet needs for you? I mean, if, let me just put this up here. Here's the next one. To wash feet is to do what for you? How do you serve your spouse? How do you serve your kids? How do you serve your neighbors? How do you serve your coworkers, your, your people at school, the people you know at school, the people in your neighborhood? How do you do that in small, practical ways? And we're not talking about huge things sometimes, folks. Small, practical ways. See, the disciples came into that room and everything was ready for service, wasn't it? There was already, obviously, there was already a bowl there, there was water there, the towel was there, the dirty feet were there, the need was there, and there was a way to meet the need. What was the barrier that they had? Their barrier was what? One thing, a proud heart. And when we don't serve people, the barrier between us is not resources. The barrier is a proud heart. My proud heart and your proud heart. See, it's not the availability of resources that causes us not to meet needs. That's never the barrier to meeting needs in God's name. It's always our proud hearts. And if God can break that barrier in our families, if God can break that barrier in our schools, if God can break that barrier in our small group, whatever that barrier is, service, true service happens. Now, this is what we're going to do as we close our service today. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. So guys, girls, whoever's doing the Lord's Supper, go ahead and get your stuff ready. Get, get, the, get the, uh, the the bread ready to come down. We're going to do this in about two minutes here, okay? This is going to be a time today of focusing our attention upon what would it be like if you were in that upper room and you'd heard this and saw Jesus do what he just did. He had washed if he washed your feet. And he just said this to you, go and do likewise. And, and that same Jesus was going to die upon a cross, and you didn't know it if you were in that upper room at that time. He was going to die upon a cross, but we know that in just a few hours later to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And that's to make our relationship with God right, the possibility of having a relationship with the Holy God. And so when Jesus came and he took the bread and he took the cup and he passed it among his disciples and he said, hey guys, when you eat of this, this is to remind you in the future of about not only of what's going to happen on the cross, but what's happened in this room. What would you be thinking? So what we're going to do today is I'm going to ask in just a moment, I'm going to ask the, 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 the ushers to come forward to bring the bread and they'll pass it out. I'm, not, I'm going to walk off the stage here in just a minute, Okay. And as you get the bread, you can partake of the bread in a quiet way. The band's going to sing in the background a song that reminds us of what God did for us upon the cross. And then they're going to come and give you the cup as well. And you can partake of the cup when you see fit, and then we'll close our service. This is a time for you to focus your attention upon what Jesus did for you. Because that's what he says the, 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 the Lord's Supper is. It's a remembrance. It's a reminder. And it's a statement as well, of our commitment to him as well. So this is our time of committing ourselves to him. So I would just encourage you this morning during this quiet time with no other talking, just a song in the background, as you partake of the bread and you partake of the cup at your own pace, that you would simply think about what Jesus has done for you and what it means for you to serve him and do the things that he's asked us to do, to live the abundant life. God, we just thank you so much this morning for your incredible love. We pray that you would just enable us this morning, God, to... Understand clearly what it means to follow you as Lord and Savior. But God, so often the Savior part is the part that we get excited about. Because we think it's all about eternity. And eternity, in a sense, God, is is great. But God, you say while we're here upon this earth, we're to live an abundant life. It doesn't mean a problem-free life. It means a life that in the midst of the struggles that has purpose and it has a promise that we, can have, that we can have joy in the midst of the struggles we have. So this morning, God, as we partake of the elements, the bread and the cup, we would ask that you would just allow us in this quiet time to commit ourselves more fully to you, God, and to your plan and to understand that the first step in living the abundant life, as you told your disciples in that upper room just hours before your death, upon the cross with, hey, guys, you need to serve. You need to be a servant for others. You need to love people so much that you're willing to serve them and humble yourself before them because it's not about you. Thank you, God, for what you've done and what your word teaches us in these few verses this morning. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.